0: We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan.
1: Hi, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Hello, sir.
0: Episode 91.
1: 91.
0: 91 (laughs) straight weeks of terror. Ay, ay, ay. Mm-hmm.
1: And look at me, I'm still standing.
0: You're still, you're still standing.
1: Do you, does anybody want to bust into like a Elton John song? <laughs> I'm
0: still standing. After uh, all
1: these years.
0: Over a hundred hours, I was thinking, of, uh, of horror. Coming up on two years. That's a lot.
1: That's a lot. And also, mm-hmm. like, if you are just finding the show now, I'm just thinking about if yeah. I had to, not had to, but if I were to yeah. listen to the show just straight through. It's a big catalog. It's a big catalog, but also I would be Petrified. I've learned to live with it because it comes in doses now. It's little mm-hmm. waves. But when people are like, oh, yeah, I just found it, I've been binging. And I think, I don't know if you should do that.
0: Maybe get numb to it though when you binge.
1: I don't think so when it's <laughs> just like hour after hour after hour.
0: Uh, no new merch today, but I would like to remind you that uh, if you like irreverent comedy in addition to horror, you can watch me and Scared to Death producer Joe Paisley get wild Thursday, June 10th. Is We Dumb Live and Uncensored? Hosted at looplive.com.
1: I'm nervous already for Ho- that.
0: Hopefully we won't ruin the studio by our st- with our stinky fermented fish.
1: Why are you... You're not supposed to be talking about it.
0: Am I... Is it? Is that, is that
2: part a secret? Yes. Is it really, Joe? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I, I think I talked about it on the episode that comes out around this time. This one comes right, out. Right, right. I thought so, too. Dang. Yeah, Lindsay's to me. Yeek. What is going on?
1: I, th- I thought it was like a surprise, like terrible thing that you're oh. going to do at the end.
0: Uh... I, I, yeah, I don't know about the surprise part, but yeah
1: Well, clearly not
0: <laughs> Vir- Virtual doors open at 6 p.m. Pacific Time uh, Show starts at 6.30 And then uh, waiting until next week to announce our monthly charity Yes Based on some promises uh, we've made to listeners It will be in the Helping Pets slash Animals nonprofit space Yay, I'm an old. And that's it for quick announcements um, I have my two normal stories this week And Lindsay doesn't have any uh, I don't want her to confuse me anymore, so let's just get started <laughs> no. Uh, how many how many stories do you have? I have nothing. Okay. Okay, good. Uh I have two modern No, really? How many do you have? I have nothing. Come on. Stop.
1: <laughs> what if I like really forgot one week? <laughs> I've had that happen where the night mm-hmm. before I'm like, oh, "Oh no. Oh my god, did I do it?" And then of course I did. Uh I have two stories. I have a quick hitter. Do you remember that game that you would play as a kid, Bloody Mary?
0: Yes. In the okay. mirror. We're
1: going to talk about that. Okay. And then we're going to talk about a haunted family or a haunted house
0: okay you decide attached to the family the house i'm
1: gonna apologize right now i I know my dress sounds like this
0: a little crunchy maybe maybe. i'm gonna be
1: really careful to try and like move like this
0: (laughs) um i have i have two modern encounter tales uh while Lindsay tries to not move well with possible troubled spirits that both seem to have their origins in both the 1950s and bad weather
1: 1950s and bad weather. Okay. Random
0: total coincidence. Uh, the first story comes from South Carolina, a local legend from around the town of Walhalla. Does the spirit of a man who died in a plane crash over 60 years ago still not know he's dead? Hmm. The second story, and I think the much scarier of the two, uh, comes from Toronto, Ontario. Did the ghost of a woman who died in a hurricane in the 50s reach out to a Canadian police officer on two separate occasions? Okay before that story, I didn't even know you could have hurricanes make it to Toronto.
1: I know. I was like, did he say hurricane?
0: <laughs> oh, I had to verify it in a few sources. I'm like, is this what? Oh, okay. Yeah. So we'll, I'll kind of mention that in the story too. Okay. Um, also
1: thought, I'm thought i like, did he mean tornado? But that still didn't no, feel right.
0: No. A hurricane came up from the Atlantic and uh, went across the southeastern U.S. and up through Pennsylvania and, and made it to Toronto.
1: Probably skipped Ohio we're <laughs> better than that.
0: Uh, are you ready for some chills? I am. Okay. Quite a bit of setup on this first story. Plenty of time to settle in. Okay. No socks today?
1: Oh, I was, I was going to see if you would ask. have mm-hmm. little blue ones. These little guys, they have his one ear.
0: Cute. They remind me of these old uh, ugly dolls that were called.
1: <sighs> I remember ugly dolls, and I loved them so much. <laughs> they were before my time, but our kids had them.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Larry Stevens was a man from Greenville, South Carolina, who died in a plane crash in the 1950s. He was tall, thin, had straight blonde hair and intense blue eyes. He was young, not even 40 yet when he passed. His favorite clothing item was an old black coat, and he was wearing it the day of the crash. He kept his plane at the Greenville Spartanburg Airport, about an hour and a half away from Wahalla, South Carolina, his preferred flying location. He liked to fly alone, for the normally reserved Larry, flying allowed him to feel bold and daring, he was in control, and he felt invincible up in the air, he loved it. And late one April afternoon, Larry took his plane out for some sightseeing like he'd done a hundred times or more before. And the following is our educated guess on how the final few hours of his life played out. Before takeoff, he did his usual pre-flight preparations. Then after a smooth takeoff, he headed towards Walhalla, the beautiful mountains of upstate South Carolina. He flew for hours, losing track of time, spotting game below, probably admiring thousands and thousands of acres of natural beauty. The sun was shining and his plane was surrounded by a beautiful golden light for the majority of his flight. And then over the course of just a few minutes, everything changed. The sky turned an ominous shade of gray as a big thunderstorm quickly rolled in and the bright sun faded. The winds picked up quickly. Larry knew he should head back for Greenville. He had to have known he was now in a dangerous situation. Stormy clouds above, steep, jagged mountains below. Rain began to fall on his windshield. In just a few minutes, it became a torrential downpour. He could hardly see through sheets of water. We just had a storm like that roll through town mm-hmm. the other day, and I kept thinking about it with this story. Then a sound like a thousand gunshots hit the metal shell of his plane. Hail turbulence now bounced the plane up and down larry i'm guessing had lost his normally calm demeanor by this point this was bad this was really bad sweat likely is running down his forehead all he can do now is try his best to remain calm and collected for some reason in his last few minutes he started to head in the wrong direction not towards home but even further out over the mountains had some of his navigation equipment failed did he get turned around in the storm and then at some point in the midst of a powerful and noisy storm he heard silence The kind of silence a pilot never wants to hear when they're high up in the air. The comforting vibrations of the engine had previously always let Larry know that his plane was still functioning. But now those vibrations had stopped. The engine failed. His plane is rapidly descending towards the mountains and there's nothing Larry can do to stop it. He must have heard as he fell just the pounding rain and hail, perhaps his own screams and nothing else. All he could do was watch helplessly as the mountains drew dangerously closer and closer. And then his small plane smashed violently into the ground, and in a ball of flames and twisting metal, Larry died upon impact. Probably. The next morning, a plane flying over Walhalla spotted a large metal object on the side of the mountain. It was just off Highway 107 near Moody Springs, a common stopping point for visitors. The pilot reported what he saw to police, and soon rescue teams were searching through the terrain and finding the wreckage. No one could have survived that crash, but Larry's remains nowhere to be found. His body would never be located. And then not long after the strange and terrible accident, locals began to report seeing a mysterious hitchhiker on the two-mile stretch of Highway 107 between Moody Springs and Piedmont Overlook, the area around the crash site, a mysterious man in a long black coat. Yikes. Time now for the tale of the ghost of Highway 107. A few years ago, over 60 years since Larry Stevens' strange crash, Josh and Sarah were driving back to Valhalla after visiting his grandparents up in Cashiers, North Carolina. It was her first time meeting the extended family, and in Sarah's mind, all had went well. They seemed to like her. She was visiting Josh from her own home in Conway. She wasn't really a mountain girl. She preferred the beach. But There, wa- there wasn't much to do for her in Walhalla, but it was beautiful. At least it was during the day. Now, though, it was just spooky. It was really, really dark. It was well after 10 p.m. as they drove to a little party where she was going to meet some more of Josh's friends. The sun had long gone down. The night sky was turned even blacker by clouds covering the moon, and rain fell so hard that sheets of water were pouring down the windshield. Going as fast as they could go, Josh's windshield wipers just couldn't seem to keep up. And his headlights didn't cut through the darkness nearly far enough to keep Sarah calm in the passenger seat. She was scared. Her dad's worried voice warning her about how the most dangerous thing she'd probably ever do was drive every day wouldn't get out of her head. She wanted to tell Josh to slow down, but she didn't want to uh, get him any more anxious than she could see he already was by criticizing his driving. His knuckles were white as he gripped the steering wheel. He was leaning forward to see as much of the road as he could. These winding roads were dangerous in good conditions. Combined with this rain, the potential for flooding, and the possibility of hydroplaning and falling off the mountain, Sarah and Josh both had good reason to be nervous. She was starting to regret not accepting Nana Miller's offer of just staying at the house for the night. But Josh had told her about a party he'd been invited to. They both thought it would be fun. A fun night out would be the perfect way to end their visit. Sarah tried her best to think about how much fun the party was going to be and not think about the car spinning out of control and careening down off the side of the mountain. Josh sighed loudly with relief when he saw the sign for the Piedmont Overlook. Thank God, he said. We're almost home. Maybe 20 more minutes. Sarah nodded, turning her head to look out the window, not that she could see much. And then when Josh rounded the next curve, his headlights illuminated a dark figure standing at the edge of the overlook. Josh, stop! Sarah yelled as she pointed towards him, and Josh hit the brakes. Is that a man? He asked softly, mirroring her thoughts exactly. I think so. What do you think he's doing out here? I don't know. I've driven this road a thousand times and never seen a hitchhiker anywhere near here. Should we offer him a ride? The mysterious man now noticed their headlights and turned to face them. He was hunched over, collar up, shielding himself from the rain. It looked like he was wearing some kind of long, shabby black coat. While continuing to stare at them, he took a few steps forward and Sarah flinched back into her seat. Something was off. Who was this guy? No normal person would be standing on the overlook at this time of night, would they? Where was his car? Despite red flag alarm bells going off loudly inside her head, Sarah, being a really good-natured and caring person, sometimes to a fault, felt compelled to do what she felt was the right thing. And she said, I feel like we have to offer him a ride. Oh, no. Josh seemed to be hearing his own alarms. He asked, clearly hoping for her to tell him to keep driving. Are you sure? We can just drive away if you feel uncomfortable. She thought about it. She knew they both felt uncomfortable, but she decided they were probably just being dramatic. His car could have broken down up ahead. How heartless just to drive away and leave him out there in this torrential downpour. Also, everyone in Walhalla she'd met and uh, had seemed so nice and it was such a small town, Josh probably knew him or at least knew the same people. He's probably a decent guy. And like all small towns, gossip spreads quickly. If word spread that Josh abandoned someone during a rainstorm like this, he might legitimately hear about it for years. It's fine. Let's just ask him, said Sarah. Sarah rolled down her window and yelled out as loud as she could Need a ride? The man stepped closer, and for a moment Sarah was stunned by his piercing blue eyes. Creepy, she thought to herself. They were so blue. And he didn't respond. Strange. We're on our way to Walhalla. We can give you a ride there if you want. Josh now shouted at the man. He still didn't respond. But he did now take a few steps towards their car and leaned down to look in the window, eye level with Sarah. She felt frozen in place, hypnotized by his eyes. Something wasn't right. He had no expression on his face, no life in his eyes. His skin had an odd grayish hue. Sarah's heart pounded, adrenaline pumping through her as she gave a little smile and then surprised. And then he surprised her by speaking, yes, I'd appreciate it. His speech was robotic, completely lacking emotion. Click. Click. Sarah jumped a bit, startled as Josh unlocked the doors. The man opened his back passenger door and slipped inside, folding himself into the small car. He was tall, his head brushing against the roof, knees bent at an awkward angle, water poured down his face, covering the seat. His coat was drenched and his pants caked in mud. Josh is going to be so annoyed later, Sarah thought. She couldn't stop looking at him in the rearview mirror. Josh couldn't stop eyeing him over either. Something about him seemed like it came from another time. His voice, his clothes, the expression on his face, or lack thereof. "'I need to get to Moody Springs,' the man said in that same monotone voice, interrupting Sarah's examination. He turned his head, stared out the window. Moody Springs was just two miles away. Thank God their ride would be short. "'Are you sure?' Josh asked. "'It's pouring rain. Don't you want to head back to town?' "'I must stop there on my way home,' he said coldly. That blank expression remained on his face, just as devoid of emotion or personality as his voice. It was hard to describe all of this. It was almost as if he was talking from a script.' and wouldn't say anything outside of the lines he'd set for himself. Sarah scrunched her eyebrows in confusion. Why did he want to be dropped off outside? Nobody lived at Moody Springs. She and Josh shared a look, both acknowledging that this guy was weird. Sarah looked again in the mirror at his face. His intense blue eyes were blank. They didn't seem to be focused on anything. Sarah could tell he wasn't really there with them. Finally, Josh shifted the car into drive, going a little too fast for the weather, eager to get this guy out of their car. After almost five long, painful minutes. It seemed like an hour. Josh pulled up to the springs. Sarah relaxed, tension she didn't even know she had leaving her body. As soon as the car came to a stop, the odd man sprung into action, unlocking the door, hopping out of the car without so much as even a thank you or a goodbye. And uh, and then as he stepped out into the storm, he disappeared, literally. His body slowly dissolved into mist, becoming one with the rain. No, Sarah thought. No one just disappears. She must be imagining things. The rain must have covered him up. But then Josh whispered, oh my God, did you see that? She turned to look at him, his face white, eyes wide, mouth open. He did just disappear, she thought, and then she said, just drive. Yeah. Let's just get out of here.
1: Get the fuck out of there.
0: Josh sped down the mountain, no longer caring about safety, eager to get as far away as possible. The next afternoon, long after their strange encounter, they got in the car to go for one last drive together on this trip back to Walhalla. Sarah, look. The back seat was still soaked. A puddle of water remained on the floor, mud staining the carpet and back seat. How was the water still there? When they made it to town, they told Josh's dad about what had happened. They they, they hoped he knew who this man was. After the initial scolding for picking up a stranger, Josh's dad paused in the middle of his tirade, eyes widening. Where did you say you picked him up again? At the overlook, Sarah answered. He shook his head from side to side incredulously. I'll be damned. You two picked up Larry Stevens. Who? Josh asked. Ghost. Larry died in a plane crash back in the 50s. I always thought the stories were bullshit. Dad, stop. You're trying to scare us. Josh was scared. His dad insisted he was telling the truth and sat them down for the tale of Larry Stevens' tragic plane crash death and how he'd become a ghost that now haunts Highway 107. Josh refused to listen, listen, brushing the story off as an attempt to scare them. Sarah knew he was telling the truth. She was horrified that they'd picked up this stranger. She knew something was different about him. Now she knew why. Once she knew his story, she was actually more sad than scared. Poor Larry was lost. He'd been lost for so long. All he probably wanted was to get home, but instead, for reasons we can only guess at, he was cursed to roam around his death site, trying to pick up rides from helpful strangers to get home, only to be dropped off and keep repeating his quest to get back home. How long had he been stuck in that cycle? How long would he continue to be stuck in that cycle? Eternity? Would he ever get to find what he's looking for?
1: That is creepy. Yeah. this. I mean, I was never picking up hitchhikers to begin with. Just being a woman. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I mean... I, I would never pick up a male hitchhiker. Being a female, yeah, that's not a, that's a stupid way to just put yourself in danger, possibly. But just in general, yeah, I wouldn't.
0: This is the first story uh, that a, a new researcher, new um, you know, person helping out on the scare, on scared to death has found Olivia Lee Grace. Yeah, she's worked on time Suck for a little while. Yeah, and uh, she. This is like one of many. The, the next one we're going to tell today is I think scarier, but I just love that you know we talked about this on the the bonus episode yeah. for this last month. But, you know, we all have our kind of tendencies of what we tend to look at or look Mm -hmm, for. And -hmm. and she just knew this. This is from not where – this is from not too far from where she grew up.
1: Oh, so it's just like a local Uh, urban legend. Yeah, like
0: local lore. And she was like, oh, have you heard of this? And I was like, nope. I would have never, ever found that story.
1: Right, right, right. Unless you found it, like, in some chat room or Mm -hmm. something, you know. Yeah, that is so creepy.
0: I know. And it is an interesting one where it's – I mean, I did get the chills a few times. But not really scared. But it's oh, kind of like, I'm scared. I just thought, like, just feel bad for this dude. It's if, like you're scary, stuck though. in this weird loop.
1: But that's still scary to me. Yeah. I'm going to look I mean, at the, hitchhikers I mean, very differently. I mean, the
0: fact that, that would be so creepy, obviously, if you picked somebody up and then was t- and then like, ah, that was a weird hitchhiker, and then talk to somebody later, and they were like, oh, yeah, that was Larry Stevens. He died 60 years ago.
1: Uh, like, And he just disappeared.
0: I know. And that was a detail. I mean... You know, it's like there's no payoff for that. It's just a weird detail of the crash. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, what the hell happened to it? I mean, there was nothing written about, like, he was able to eject. I don't think his plane allowed for that option. Uh, those little Cessnas and things that, like, you know, like more, um, not hobby, like enth-
1: Enthusiast. Enthusiast, yeah. I guess. Yeah, plane? It is a hobby. Yeah. yeah. And
0: especially, like, back in the 50s, it's not late. From what I understand, it's not like they had you know fancy ejection cockpits like a like a fighter pilot would have.
1: Right? No, your no, plane because goes down. You're, you're just like, going down. Yeah, I don't. I don't even think like a Delta airplane has that.
2: <laughs> yeah, true. Right? True, like
1: true. the captain goes down with his crew.
2: Yeah, I like it because it's kind of another layer that we don't hear about a lot on the show. Like the, the, it's not trying to hurt you. It's mm-hmm. not trying to really interact with you. Right. Yeah. It's just there doing its own thing, and you happen to cross paths with it. It wasn't crossing your path. Right.
1: Right, right. It wasn't. That's a really valid point, Joe. Larry the ghost wasn't seeking out this couple or really anyone. He just happens to be there. And they they just happen to be on that path. Because it's not like you would, you go, I mean, most people don't leave their home going for a drive seeking out hitchhikers. Mm -hmm. I did date this really weird guy in LA and he loved to hitchhike. That, That was like his weird adrenaline high. That he loved. And do you know who picked him up one night?
0: No. Quentin. Wait. It was a. Uh, oh, wait. Quentin Tarantino?
1: Quentin Tarantino picked him up. And then they spent the night drinking together. And then that was like the end of it. I was like, Crazy. that is the weirdest thing. But I, it I worked I out s- for him. I want to say at some point we heard like some, you know, like Quentin Tarantino is an odd duck. Mm-hmm. And I think he loved to pick up hitchhikers. So it's just like, it was just a weird. But yeah, he would just like hitchhike fucking up and down Sunset Strip like an idiot
0: maybe tarantino was uh working on his script for that once upon a time in hollywood maybe because that involves like the manson family and at that time in hollywood but this
1: would have been that um, was huge
0: hitchhike hitchhikers he
1: would have been doing research about 15 years ago well maybe uh, yeah i mean Uh, mean, listen, you can sit sit on an idea for a really long time or maybe
0: he was just infatuated with that era of hollywood because that's like how charlie manson met uh one of the beach boys i can't remember which beach boy right now wilson yeah i think dennis wilson maybe um, but anyway, uh, two of his followers were hitchhiking. Got picked up by that dude. They introduced him to oh, Charlie. That's, right. and that's how Charlie like lived with it. Like the weird Manson yeah, family yeah, Beach yeah. Boys connection. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But just what a what a weird thing. Yeah. What a bizarre bizarre thing. When Joe
0: said like you know like you're interacting with it, it reminded me of um, like Red Dead Redemption type like video games. Mm, mm-hmm. You know where they have like you know you go to a certain part of the map. And there's you encounter a character that's on like a loop out there. Oh yeah, kind of like Westworld, you yes, know, like the TV yes. show where it's like they're they running, on they're running their little programmed loop, and then you just happen to interact with them, you know, as they do that loop. And if you left and came back, they'd be back there to redo they'd be doing the, the loop, same thing. Yeah. like Larry Stevens, like like the real life version of just this loop. <sighs>
1: when Which... is the next season of Westworld? What is Dolores up to? <laughs> and so I was thinking about uh, when they were driving in the in the horrible storm and mm-hmm. white knuckle grip when we moved from. The, the second time when we brought you up to Idaho from mm, L.A. Yeah. And we did that. Ter- or was it the first one? Maybe it was the first drive when you brought me up where it was like crazy. The U-Haul hitch wasn't oh, yeah. it, it was Go- the first mm-hmm, one, I think. The first
0: one. It was going over uh, the border between California and Oregon. Yeah. This Grants Pass area mm-hmm. and unexpectedly bad weather. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, we hit fog later on closer to Coeur d'Alene, but there we hit some snow. Yeah. And we were driving... Um, this little a little Honda CRV uh-huh. pulling a U haul trailer with a fucked up hitch.
1: Yeah, because we you had taken it down to Englewood. <laughs> to, that was like the only place you could go to get yeah. the 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 hitch installed. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was a whole thing, and it was dragging on the ground the yeah, whole and it wasn't... drive.
0: Wasn't quite put on right, no, and it, it sure wasn't the wasn't. right car for that. Yeah, that was no. that was that was a white knuckle drive. Yes,
1: and then and then it, we were okay for a while, and then about an hour and a half, two hours outside of Cortland in Ritzville. Remember, it was just yeah, so much fucking fog. fog. It was the That's m- creepy. Too it was the night. most stressful drive I think I've ever mm-hmm. been on. <laughs> yeah, it was awful.
0: Uh, okay, couple pictures.
1: Oh, oh, okay, great.
0: So this first one is just uh, a picture associated with the story on the web.
1: That is fucking creepy. Mm-hmm. Would you ever pick up a hitchhiker?
0: in certain moments in my life yeah just like why not now no okay good just making uh, sure I mean but I say now no but it, it depends if there was somebody who seemed like hurt or something like that okay like <laughs> oh okay. let's say there's like a, a teen girl whatever like that who looks hurt on the side of the road. Ah, that'd be pretty fucked up. Just be like, ah, too bad. Sorry. He, he, <laughs> Just drive on by or at least like stop and call authorities. That's what I would I'd do. I'd want to get the story. Yeah. I, I'd be wary even that situation. Is like, is there somebody else around who's going to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. jump me? Does she have a weapon? I'd mm-hmm. still have, I mean, high alerts.
1: High alert.
0: Or if it's like elderly. Per- somebody, if it was somebody like seemed vulnerable,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'd be, I'd stop. Yeah. I'd, I'd feel too guilty if I didn't. Okay. That's how they get you. Right, they have their decoy. Yeah,
1: well, Um, guess I'm smarter than you. I'm not getting caught. (laughs) Uh,
0: You won't get judged the same way though. If like if I yeah if if like a a bigger I just way society works. If a bigger guy uh, drives on past somebody compared to a smaller woman, I don't think the woman gets judged as much because people are like, well, she has more legitimate fears in that situation, rightly or wrongly. I think that's how society looks at it.
1: Hmm, I don't. If I I
0: drive by, I'm just a dick. If if you drive by, it's like well, she's protecting herself. You're kind of a anyways i think
1: i'm just i think we just i'm just gonna let that one go i don't <laughs> okay. want to have like a big conversation about it <laughs>
0: okay uh this next one is a picture of the mountains near where larry stevens crashed oh, it's beautiful mm-hmm. yeah it is really pretty really really pretty and then uh this uh last picture just this just a kind of like dark forest in the area again it came up with some articles but i was just thinking of like the, the forest he would have walked back into mm-hmm. at night it, there is something like growing up we've talked about this before but like where i grew up in idaho when you're driving out on a windy rural country road at night, it's very different than any road you're going to drive through in the city because it's just so dark. And especially when it's raining uh-huh. and the moon is uh, you know blocked out and your high beams aren't working as effectively, mm-hmm. it is
2: really dark.
1: Yeah, it's a weird thing here that I've always not understood about. Like the the interstate that we live by because I have always lived in large metropolis cities where there is so much street lights. There are not lights on these freeways. It's so weird or they're very dim or they're not consistent. Like Mm -hmm. if you're on a freeway in Cleveland, it's fucking lit up. Yeah. Here, I'm like, what, what do we just, oh, we just don't do that here? Oh, okay, fine. And then it's all, and then we're surrounded by mountains. It is significantly darker here where we live than anywhere else I've ever lived in my life.
0: Yeah. And here is much lighter than Riggins. Like, right? It's like, there's just no lights around there. Yeah.
1: Mm. So many creepy stories.
0: Are you ready for the next creepy story? Yeah. Okay. I find the second story way more chill inducing. Okay. Uh, Got another story with origins in the 1950s and scares from today right after today's sponsor break. Thanks for listening, Creeps and Peepers. If you hear any deals you like, be sure to please use the landing pages and discount codes provided so you get the best deal and we keep our sponsors.
1: Please and thank you. Okay,
0: we head now out to Canada. Fair amount of setup on this one. Okay. Hurricane Hazel struck Toronto on the afternoon of October 15th, 1954. The storm lasted all night and didn't end until the 16th. At the time, Hazel was the worst hurricane to ever hit Canada, Toronto's worst ever, most lethal natural disaster. Before making it to Canada, Hazel first hit Haiti, killing an estimated 400 to 1,000 people there, devastating the economy for several years. The hurricane later reached the Carolina coast with winds blowing up to 150 miles an hour. Wow. Killed almost 100 people as it moved across the U.S., merged with a cold front over Pennsylvania, and then bounced over to Toronto. Weird. Warnings were issued, but few people in Toronto had experienced a hurricane before. I mean, it's not near the ocean. And uh, they didn't take the warnings very seriously. Then seven inches of rain would fall in just 24 hours. Local rivers and streams flooded, spilled into the city. The first deaths deaths were reported at 11 p.m. on October 15th when a car was swept into the Humber River, killing everyone inside. Oh, man. The winds reached gusts there up to 77 miles per hour. 1,800 families would become homeless and 81 people would die. And the Humber Heights Consolidated School would be used as a temporary morgue. Humber Heights closed in 1982 and then became an adult learning and resource center— And it remains a historic landmark in Toronto. And many think that ever since the floods, it's been haunted. Do lost spirits remain inside the school looking for someone to help them? Canadian law enforcement officer Chris Sensical certainly thinks so. He appeared on the TV show Paranormal 911 back in 2019 to tell his story of a spirit he encountered at Humber Heights. Time now for the tale of still screaming. October 17th, 2006. A cold and windy night in Toronto security officer chris sensical had just started working the graveyard shift and early into his shift he got his first call tonight west hill truck 1164 please respond 1164 copy chris engaged his focus at least this shift wouldn't be as boring as yesterday when he did nothing but drive around in his truck all night alarm activation 2245 lawrence avenue west east entrance potential break-in chris thought to himself he knew exactly where that was Chris had been working, you know, uh, security or for Ontario law enforcement for the police for roughly 20 years. He had handled most of the late-night security and safety calls related to about 700 schools and government-owned facilities throughout Toronto. He knew the particular school he had just gotten a call for as well, or for well. Humber Heights Consolidated, a target for street gangs, drug dealers, and anyone who wanted to break in and steal something to support their habit. Later, when reflecting on this particular night, he remembered thinking that it was just going to be another routine break-in. Nothing he couldn't handle. By 2006, he felt like he'd seen it all, and he knew that usually just the sound of his truck pulling up and flashing some blue lights would be enough to scare any intruder scurrying. He'd most likely find the building abandoned. Generally, by the time he got the call that someone had broken in someplace, they were already leaving. Chris pulled in outside the east entrance of the school a few minutes after dispatch contacted him, and he completed what he called a proactive patrol. He shined his light around the front end front end of the building and then spotted an open window on the second floor. Shit, he thought. He was surprised they would have gone in through the upper floor, that would take some work, but there might actually be someone to deal with inside this time. Chris now felt himself a bit on edge, not really worried yet, just adrenaline starting to pump through his veins, and he prepared himself to investigate a real potential threat. Then as he got out of the truck and approached the entrance, he started to feel unusually uncomfortable, and he couldn't understand why. He'd been to this exact location numerous times over the years, responding to the exact same type of call, and nothing terrible had ever happened to him. So why worry now? Something just felt off. That open window now looming over him seemed like a warning somehow. Chris tried to shake off the apprehension he now uh, felt, but he couldn't. He hadn't let it stop him from doing his job, though. And he walked into the school, or he wouldn't. And he walked into the school on high alert. As he walked in, he found himself thinking thoughts he almost never thought. He thought about how he was all alone. Any backup would be several miles away. He thought about how all he had for protection was handcuffs, expendable expandable batons, a protective vest, and a flashlight. He thought about how suddenly all that didn't feel like nearly enough. As he stepped inside, he felt, quote, a factor of creepiness. He knew he first needed to locate the master keys in the mechanical room in order to access the classrooms, so that's where he headed. As he made his way there, he listened for sounds that would reveal an intruder, and he hoped like hell he didn't hear any. He lowered the volume on his radio so he could be as stealthy as possible as he prowled around the school. Soon, he reached the mechanical room without any problems and retrieved the keys. He thought maybe he was getting worked up for nothing. Or maybe not. Everything still just felt really off. Chris held the keys tightly so they wouldn't jingle as he now walked to the building towards the classrooms. And as he headed up the stairs, he finally heard something. He thought he heard footsteps on the second floor, directly above where he now stood. He suddenly wanted to leave. His body was telling him to get out. But if he did that, he better keep moving all the way back to his job's headquarters and hand in his security badge. Again, it was his job to be there. It was literally his job to deal with situations that would terrify a lot of people. Still, he really wanted to call it a night. More thoughts that almost never floated around in his head now did. He found himself worrying that he might be walking into an ambush. Should he call for backup? No. There was actually no evidence that he was walking into an ambush. None whatsoever, just irrational fear floating around in his head. Chris proceeded to check each classroom for signs of intrusion or activity. Everything seemed secure but then when he turned the last corner he saw an open door at the end of that hall he entered the classroom it led to and saw the open window he'd seen outside and his stomach dropped there were no signs of forced entry or vandalism nothing was knocked over, out of place no signs of any criminal activity Chris closed the window, snapping the lock into place and just as he began to tell himself that maybe someone from the school had left the window open a sound that gave him goosebumps pierced through the silence was that crying? yes it was, a young woman sobbing It was loud enough that it seemed like she was in the room with him, or at least very close by. Chris looked all around, behind the desk, in the cupboard, then down the hall, nothing. But he could still hear her crying. Where was she? He needed to find this woman. She might be hurt and need his help. And then once again, Chris heard the sound of creaking wood floors and footsteps out in the hallway. Slow and heavy now. Too loud to be any kind of an animal. Curiously not coming from the same direction as the woman crying. What was going on? He cautiously now stepped out into the hall, locked the door to the classroom behind him, and started making his way back to the stairs. And then a deafening crash almost gave him a heart attack. A large bookcase had fallen over right behind him. He frantically scanned the area, spinning in circles as he tried to find someone, anyone. Where could they be? The classrooms were now all locked. The only person who could be here in the hall uh, with him, or the only person that could be around him, had to be in the hall. But no one was there. He didn't know what to make all of this. At this point, something supernatural still hadn't crossed Chris' mind. Chris's mind. Can't read today. He'd been a skeptic all his life, and he was holding on to that skepticism now for dear life. But then a really strong intuition hit him, and he was suddenly certain there was no living person in the building besides him, the steps, the crying. There was something else. Chris now thought he must be dealing with something inhuman. And now he was scared for a new reason. From what he'd heard about ghosts, he knew it took a massive amount of energy for them to move something as heavy as a bookcase. This thing could hurt him, or worse. Why? Why would this thing want to hurt him? Chris heard the same footsteps now, moving at their slow, stomping pace again. Thud. 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 He tried to breathe as quietly as possible. It sounded like the footsteps were heading back towards the same classroom he had just locked that window in. Shit. He started walking back towards the room as well, following the sound of the footsteps coming from thin air. His heart pounded in time with the footsteps. When he made it to just outside the classroom, he felt sick as he saw that that window he had just shut and locked was now open again his rational mind tried to make sense of things perhaps some teens were playing a prank on him that had to be it right Chris started to sigh with relief and and as he exhaled a strong wind a wind stronger than anything he'd ever felt before in his life started to swirl around him faster and faster whipping at his chest neck and face it was coming from the open window chairs and papers began to fly all around him he threw up his arms shielding his face as the papers almost sliced his skin the force of a hurricane surrounded him and he could do nothing but crouch down and hope he didn't get injured the wind knocked him to the ground, a chair flew across the room, narrowly missed his head, and then, nothing. Silence. Chris cautiously opened his eyes, and immediately he felt like he was going crazy. Despite what he had just felt, now he was staring at papers stacked neatly on a teacher's desk. What? He saw chairs lined up in perfect rows, not one of them disturbed or out of place. He was going crazy, he must be. You need some sleep, Chris, he told himself. He wanted to call for help, but what could he say? There's a ghost in the school with me, and I'm scared. <laughs> All he'd hear on the other side of the radio would be laughter. Still, he had to get out of there. Chris now rushed to the mechanical room to put the keys back in the lockbox, not caring anymore about being quiet. All he wanted to do was leave as fast as possible. He no longer worried about the crying woman. When he reached the mechanical room, a whole new wave of chills hit him. All the lights were off. He was positive he'd left them on. Was someone following him? As he carefully examined the lockbox, BOOM! The door slammed behind him, loud, clanging metal. He turned and the padlock flew across the floor as if somebody kicked it towards him. Something was near, something not human, something malicious. He suddenly knew all of that was true just as sure as he knew his name was Chris. Something inside this school wanted him gone immediately. Chris returned the key to the lockbox as fast as he could And then as he spun around to exit the room He could hear those footsteps above him Faster this time, coming towards him Thud, 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 thud Much to his relief, the entity had slammed the door But not locked him inside the boiler room He sprinted out of the building and hurried to his truck The footsteps following him overhead, running with him He gave one last look at the school once he was outside And swore he could see a womanly figure standing in the window The open window Too afraid to investigate further He simply drove away, refusing to look back Chris never told his colleagues colleagues or supervisors about his supernatural encounter that night and tried his best to forget the whole thing. He hoped he'd never have to go back. But then just six months later, duty called again. Oh, no. Chris received another emergency dispatch to head to Humber Heights Consolidated School. Shit. Dispatch told him the building's security system had detected some strange noises coming from inside the building. Great. As he drove, all he could think about was his last visit to the school. Soon he was back in the same parking lot where he'd seen that woman in the window. He refused to look up into the window now. Chris took a deep breath, then got out of his truck and walked up to and then entered the building. He was here because the school had just installed a new alarm system complete with microphones inside the building, and the Central Station Security Monitoring Company would listen in for the sound of voices, broken glass, or any signs of intrusion. And tonight, the microphones detected some unusual noises in the the auditorium. The location made Chris feel a little better. The ghost he was still trying and failing to convince himself he hadn't previously encountered had been upstairs in one of the classrooms. He hoped it wouldn't bother him if he didn't head up there. And he entered the auditorium to investigate. But then he started to feel a sinking feeling in the pit of his stomach. It grew worse as he descended the ramp to the stage. He checked backstage, bracing himself to see something he'd never be able to unsee. Something that would haunt his dreams forever. And then he sighed with relief. Nothing. The security technology must have glitched. No one was there. He wondered if maybe the microphones they installed had picked up some noise from outside the building. But then, as he turned around and prepared to leave, a red rubber ball bounced out and across the stage. Up, down, up, down. His heart started pounding. Who just threw that? Hello? Chris called out. Gravity, he told himself, the balls hadn't been stacked up properly, and one must have just fallen off the rack or something. But just then, the dispatcher radioed Chris, asking if he was all right, and the dispatcher's voice was panicked. Hang tight, Chris, the dispatcher yelled. Additional officers have been dispatched to your location. What the fuck was going on? Why, asked Chris, feeling sick with worry now. What's the problem? I was just about to clear the building. What's all that screaming about? Dispatch asked. Chris' blood now ran cold. The monitoring center had been listening to his progress and they'd heard a woman screaming for help. You can't hear that? Dispatch asked. No, said Chris, feeling almost dizzy now can you patch it through he asked and then he immediately regretted that request loud terrified screams now sounded through Chris's radio screams that were supposedly coming from his location he recognized that sound it was her the woman from the second floor please please help me help me frantic panic screaming Chris tried to cut the noise off by talking back to dispatch 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 please cut off the transmission Please let me out! The woman cried back at him. Hello, dispatch! Chris shouted, now starting to completely freak out. The woman begging for his help still screamed back at him. Where was she? Why couldn't he just hear her without the radio if she was in the building with him? And then, he did hear her. He could now hear the echo of her screams in his radio and hear them coming from the hallway above him, and it sounded like she was getting closer. Chris whispered for dispatch to please help him as the woman's screams got louder. Nobody responded. Her voice had now taken over the channel. He felt overwhelmed by her anguished screams. His head her, the hairs on the back of his neck rose. His brain felt like it could burst with her, how loud her screams were. Just when he thought he'd start screaming himself, it all stopped, and his radio went into a static hiss followed by total silence. Chris now turned back towards the stage and screamed himself when he saw black body bags lined up in rows that weren't there a moment ago. What? His mouth dropped open. His stomach turned. He couldn't do this anymore. He could now feel the screaming woman's suffering in his own body suffocating him, and he ran for the nearest exit. As he ran out to school, he continued to hear echoes of the woman's calls for help. Chris knew that whatever help she might need, he couldn't give it to her. Chris jumped into his truck and locked the door, closed his eyes, waited for backup that had been called a few minutes earlier to show up. When they arrived a few minutes later, he declined to go back inside with them. He knew he could never enter that building again. The officers that responded to the screaming woman, heard nothing inside, found nothing. But they had also heard the woman over the radio. And while not as spooked as Chris, they were freaked out and glad to get the hell out of that building that night. And when they could tell that Chris didn't want to talk about what he'd experienced, they thankfully left him alone. When Chris got home following his shift, he did some research on the Humbert School. He'd known about the deadly hurricane that hit Toronto many years earlier. It was a big part of local history. What he hadn't known was that the Humbert School had been used as that temporary morgue after the storm. Had he been walking to an entire graveyard of lost souls? Was that screaming woman one of those who died? Her body stored there? Chris can't be certain, but he thinks that she was. Chris has since taken a new job and he also uh, has vowed to never, ever return to that school again. He's definitely no longer a skeptic and is now a firm believer in the paranormal. The two experiences he had taught him that there is more to this world that we can always hear and see and what he heard and saw in that school he never wants to hear or see again.
1: Yay, yay, yay.
0: And that's a pretty recent one. And I looked into this guy a little bit. I mean, he's been like, he won some award recently for being some uh, part of some special law enforcement, you know, team. I mean, not the not the always want to say like, oh, this person looks like the person who would like make up the story. Like there'd be a certain look, but there is. But there, yeah, there can be. And you know, you look into this story, and he he doesn't have a history of telling other tales. He hasn't been telling other tales since. He didn't try to write a book about it.
1: Right, right. It's just this thing that happened. Just this and-
0: weird thing that he says happened to him on two different occasions.
1: Ay, yeah 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 yeah, the red ball, because we we <laughs> uh, had another story. I thought I it was like... in Canada, where there was a red ball. It was at a mm. also yes. It was at it was a, a oh, school that's the... now has been turned into like condos, condos or something, yeah. mm-hmm. and something with like the in the boiler room with the janitor or something. Yep. something yep. and a red ball that's bouncing right. as if someone was bouncing a basketball. That's right. I forgot mm-hmm. about that one. Yes, what's going on in Canada with the bouncing balls? Oh
0: man. Creepy. Here, here's a, um, uh, a few photos. Here, this first is a picture of Officer Yeah Chris Sensical.
1: Okay, so he is a police officer.
0: Yeah, he was um, working security there, and it's like you know, like the the way the story. I know a lot of law enforcement officers in the states will also moonlight and work security. Right. I think that's what happened. At the very okay. least, he was working security at that time and now is part of a law enforcement uh, team.
1: Okay, because I was trying to figure out, like, oh, do Canadian police not carry guns? But if he was moonlighting... He
0: was working security at that time. And yeah, I think, yeah. That's a, but yeah. then you said
1: he got some law enforcement. I, the the terms could be different.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, certain officers I know carry guns up there, just, mm-hmm. you know, seeing pictures. And there's been, you know, like, you know where incidents where they've had to shoot right, or all right. that stuff. Um, but, yeah, he didn't mention having one when he got called... Whatever he was he may again, he may have been working law enforcement yeah. also, but yeah, was yeah. working security for that okay. particular job. Uh here's an old photo of the Humber Heights consolidated school.
1: That's a big ass school. I know. And what a weird name the the Humber Heights consolidated school? What yeah, does that know. fucking mean?
0: I don't know the origin of that. Yeah, Is that name? like,
1: oh, it used to be one school over here with kindergarten garbage and like <laughs> and then one school over here that yeah. was you know, middle school, and then they consolidated them? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like it's got to be that simple.
0: I love when you tease Monroe about kindergarten.
1: Kindergarten?
0: Are, are you going to kindergarten? And she get so mad. It's, it's kindergarten!
1: It's kindergarten. No, no, you're going to
0: kindergarten. No!
1: I am, I am not!
0: Um,
1: That's why I told her she was going to learn to be a garbage man. <laughs> all little kids get mad about that. I say it to all little kids, and they are furious.
0: Yeah, when you don't call it the right thing. Yeah. And it seems like you're making fun of it. Mm-hmm. It's great. No, it's very important, kindergarten. It is. Um, this uh, the school is no longer a school. It is now, I believe, the uh, Schlegel Villages, like a retirement oh, community. Retirement community? Mm-hmm. So okay. That's it now. And then, not sure how looking for more pictures of this former school led me to this GIF. It might be from from one of the uh, Paranormal Activity movies. Nothing to do with today's story. I just wanted to show it to you. Okay. So I thought it was very creepy.
1: I think I've seen this one. Oh, have you? Yeah.
0: I just didn't like how like uh, the invisible force drags her out of the room. I'm like, uh-huh. Gah. and whenever it's like, it's like the night cam footage and something like you're a baby, it just creeps me out.
1: I like it's weird that the baby's not moving. That's what
0: Joe was saying. Joe was like, "Man, that's a calm baby." I know. And then we were, we were joking that the baby's attitude was like, "Well, better better you than me."
1: Well, sorry, the, mom. Also, can you see in the on the door? Yeah, there's like a skull face reflection or something, or is that our studio backdrop? Bleeding through the image, I can't tell.
0: <laughs> I can't. I can't tell.
1: Oh, well, I see a face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How? So those are my stories. Okay. Well, that was fun. Yeah. Oh yeah, that that skull face image was definitely in the photograph. It was Uh-oh. not the Uh-oh. backdrop here.
0: I feel like you got some chills in the last one.
1: Uh, yeah, it was creepy. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, what? There's nothing. Mm, words are hard. There's nothing you can do. You have to do your job, right? Right. I mean, and that, in that situation, Well, he could opt not to. But and, and that
0: was an interesting thing I hadn't thought of before. You know when. Um, like a law enforcement officer has a really terrible experience in like a haunted home, you know, building or whatever. Right. And then they keep getting called back there.
1: Right. They're, you know,
0: like well, like they don't want to be there.
1: Right. Right.
0: But, but you can't just not go because I'm scared. Oh my god! Like you don't get to you don't get to do that in that job and, and keep your job.
1: Chris is right. His colleagues would have had a field day. Oh my day. god! They would have probably never oh, stopped. So scared? Oh, poor Chris. Oh yeah, you don't want that reputation. No, you do not. Hmm. Well, I'm also ready to take you to a dark, scary room. Okay. Are you ready? I am. So, okay, so you have played Bloody Mary? I can't remember.
0: No, I am familiar with the game Bloody Mary, but I never played it when I was a kid.
1: I really want you to do it.
0: <laughs> okay. I want you to. I like how the, like, you're like, don't touch a Ouija board, but I want you to play Bloody Mary.
1: Because you're already afraid of mirrors and you have to do this in, I into know. a mirror?
2: I know, which is why I didn't do it as a kid Oh, either.
1: man. Joe, would you be willing to go in the bathroom with Dan after this? <laughs> what?
2: Yes. Then- we play Bloody Mary, but also Candyman. Remember, that was the same one? Yeah, it's variation on the same game, yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. You say Candyman three in the mirror, times. Three times. And he pops up behind you and he slits your throat or is something.
1: Is it like Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice? <laughs> I is
2: wish it? Beetlejuice showed up. When I know. I no, That'd be awesome. He's a fun ghost. He's a fun guy. When's that me? remake coming out, by the way?
1: Oh, yeah, I heard about that. Uh, I heard
2: about it like the three years ago. Where is I don't remember it? that. Yeah, I think to the same cast, too, right? Yeah, Michael Seen and everything.
1: Jamie Lee Curtis, right? No. What am I thinking? Oh, that's Halloween. I think Helen Hunt
0: was in Beetlejuice. Well, no, it wasn't Helen Hunt either. I can't remember. I can't remember who it was. Like help us. it was Alec, Gina Davis.
2: Gina Davis, maybe. I mean, and then Alec uh, Baldwin. Sigour- C- oh man. Segura, no Tom Segura. Tom Segura, no Winona Ryder. Dane Cook was the Beetlejuice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, what was uh, Winona, Ryder. Winona Ryder? There we go. Bye, yeah. yeah.
1: bye, bye.
2: Or
0: Winona. Yeah. I
1: just, I just think that if you go in the bathroom after this, close the door. Logan can stand guards so that no one else in the building comes in. You can play it and joke and video it, and we can see what happens.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'll think about it.
1: Mr. Oh, I want to play with a Ouija board. I'll, what think, a weird I'll, I'll way for the it.
2: whole business to collapse. Exactly. Oh Dan God. dies from Bloody Mary. And then it gets, it gets, oh, man. it's, it's like a Kind of great. <laughs> Going out with a bang. It's exactly. Like a, you get it. They would rule it as like a heart attack or stroke or something, but like, but
1: yeah. we all know something mm-hmm. different happened. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I've definitely, definitely played Bloody Mary, and it is, it's fucking terrifying. OK, I, I I started to read an article, but then I decided to stop. But I think that there's some sort of psychology behind what happens. And I don't know if it's like your eyes adjusting to the dark or like what makes you think that you're seeing something. Now, huh. I, I, I was always told that if you did it, then the, the mirror would fill with like blood, like she would show in the mirror and it would be bloody. Hmm. I don't know. OK, well, let's find out what's going on with this guy. Uh, hello, Dan and Lindsay. I've recently gotten into the podcast and have binged it while at work, as I've always been a creeper at heart. I hesitated to submit my story, but I figured, why not? Anyway, I found myself drawn to all things that go bump in the night from a young age, along with my brother, who would often accompany me in my creepy video binging and discussions into the paranormal. One of the most famous legends I heard of was that of Bloody Mary, and both being young and naive, we figured... What better way to have a poor paranormal experience? Big mistake. We waited until it was dark and went into our house's rarely used bathroom basement to follow the rules of the legend. We locked the door and in the darkest darkness said Bloody Mary three times. Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. Silence filled the room for a minute and I looked to my brother who suggested we say her name 13 times. On we went, chanting her name with nothing happening, until all of a sudden, at the eighth or ninth incantation, the vibe of the room changed. When I say it felt cold, I don't mean temperature-wise. It was like this energy has suddenly soaked into the walls. It felt drained and dreadful. Bloody We were interrupted. Next to us, behind the shower curtain, there was the sound of a woman sobbing. Her (sighs) cries sounded so hopeless. Even thinking of it now makes me feel pitiful. It sounds like we were hearing someone grieving or with a broken heart. The sobs were soft and weak, and we became stricken with fear. My brother nudged me to take a look, and I gave him that face. After all, he was my older brother. He insisted, and so I swallowed my fear and slowly clutched the shower curtain and tore it back nothing. In fact, the moment the shower curtain moved, the crying stopped, and the room felt normal once again. This was a major confirmation for me in the paranormal, and even though through the years I thought maybe there was a way my brother was pranking me, I just don't see how it was possible. There was nothing in that shower, no speaker, no window, and the cry sounded too real and too much like a woman's sobs for him to have faked it himself." I have always had the feeling that whomever we invited into the bathroom was showing us her pain, wanting us to understand. And that's why we were spared. But to this day, I can't be in a bathroom with the lights off without feeling that something is in there with me from the other side. I hope you have enjoyed my tale. And even though I know Bloody Mary can be perpetrated by children as a harmless game meant to scare, I think we can actually manage to manifest things by putting enough of our energy into it. Thank you, fellow creep, Justin.
0: Thanks, Justin. I mean, that is interesting where regardless of – what that thing was or why it got there or like right, why it showed right. up just the fact that something could that they could both hear it mm-hmm. you know and like have that like look of like you're hearing that too yep and then you know know that it's something in the shower and agreed that it was like a woman crying i i was just thinking like how much that would scar you if you pulled that curtain back oh. and then there's a fucking lady in there just like some Chills. horror movie lady looking at you just crying sobbing wild-eyed some
1: ring ah,
0: like the ring exactly yikes that's yeah give me big chills
1: you know that the ring did it well because we reference that vision that image so often and every mm -hmm. time we're both like and I never even saw it I just know the image
0: that was the first one I saw of that wave of horror movies Mm -hmm. Like the grudge and the ring and there was like, you know, a variety of others yeah. where they um, use like, like that Japanese folklore. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was Japanese. It was either Japanese or Korean. I think it was Japanese. Ringu, I think, was the original. But like mm-hmm. where, where they have like, yeah, the pale skin, long, dark hair over the eyes and then stilted movements. I could be her. Ah, uh, Yikes.
1: I could do that. <laughs> oh, I just thought of so many fun ways to scare you. <laughs> um okay so yeah just like a little baby story but creepy Mm -hmm. for sure yeah yeah yeah. okay and then our next story um it's interesting like it's a whole family Uh and and they aren't sure is it them or is it the house so i think we should just dive in and see what happens okay okay what if our whole family was haunted
0: (laughs) it'd be terrible it'd
1: be terrible oh my god it'd be so awful okay hey dan and Lindsay, i recently discovered scared to death and And to say I've been binging would be an understatement. I'm a true creeper, loving all things paranormal. It takes a whole lot to truly scare me, but that's probably because I've been surrounded by the paranormal my whole life and have come to accept the fact that I will never escape it. My entire family, mom, dad, and two older sisters are all sensitive. I have no other way of describing it, but wherever we live, we experience countless things that cannot be explained." We aren't religious, and I myself especially am very interested in science. I always try to find rational explanations for the things that plague our daily lives, but I can only rationalize so much. Now, a little backstory on my family and I. My parents raised us three girls, each three years apart, in a very small town in Minnesota. For that reason, I'd rather not specify the name of the town and am changing the names of my sisters for the sake of their privacy. My parents bought our family home in 1997 when I was four years old. They previously lived a town over, and their old house was just too small for three growing children. They bought a modest, split level home on half acre of land. I just barely remember moving there since I was so young. The house was built in the 70s, and being an extremely rural area, we knew the only two families that had ever lived in that house. Their kids were classmates of ours. No one had died in that house that we knew that we knew for a fact. Being a newer home with a wholesome history, my family didn't anticipate it being haunted like the house they just moved from had been. In their old house, which was of course next door to a funeral home, countless paranormal occurrences happened. My parents still don't like to talk much about it, so I apologize for being vague. But there are countless things to talk about from the new house, all witnessed by our entire family. For me, it began almost immediately when we moved in. In fact, this is one of my very first memories as a person. I had an extremely vivid dream. In the dream, I was talking to a little girl who lived on our property. She told me a very, very specific story, one that no four-year-old could ever imagine on their own. She sailed over to Minnesota from Europe with her dad hundreds of years ago. She never said what happened to her mom, but she was the only girl on the entire ship. They migrated across the United States, eventually settling where my family's house was. They didn't make it long, though. She told me that they were scalped by Native Americans. My hometown is very old and was populated mostly by Native Americans at that time, which I had no idea at the age of four. But for some reason, the dream and the girl didn't scare me. She was around my age and seemed very kind. So naturally, I woke up the next morning and did the creepiest thing a child could do. I went to my mom and asked, Mom, what does it mean to be scalped? She was shocked, to say the least, and asked me where I had even heard that word. I said, oh, the little girl in my dream told me she was scalped here. She lives in the house, and she seems really nice. I can only imagine what was going through my mom's head. And that was just the start. Over the years, we had experiences almost daily, but that was normal for my family. My parents both have stories upon stories of paranormal encounters from their entire lives. It was clear that whatever sensitivity they had was passed on to my sisters and I. Some very common things in my house were clear as day, seeing people walk around corners, having someone in the corner of your eye, hearing full-on conversations downstairs while everyone was upstairs, the downstairs downstairs door (laughs) slamming like clockwork every day at 5 p.m., strange markings on the walls, orbs in almost every photograph, and so on. We began to recognize these patterns and the ghosts associated with them. This was where we start to sound a little bit crazy. The most we could usually take the most we could usually make of the ghosts we saw were their silhouettes and their voices, but we picked up on their energy and all came to the same consensus on not only who each ghost was, but how safe they were. The little girl was harmless, and at one point she even told us her name. Annalise. Remember those little plastic pads of like paper where you could write a message on it and lift it up and on the paper and it would disappear. Well, one day my sister Kristen came across one in our downstairs living room with a note on it that said, what's your name? Thinking I was Mm. thinking I was messing with her just having kid fun. She wrote Kristen. What's yours? A few hours later, she came back and the name Annalise was inscribed on the paper. Now, that could have been my other sister, Brianna, but to this day, she swears she didn't do it. There was also what we all thought, a woman who heard. we heard pacing in the halls outside of my, Christ, outside of my sister Kristen's room at night. No one feared her either. If anything, we felt a sense of protection from her. But what was she protecting us from? We would soon find out. My bedroom was upstairs, right above Kristen's. That room, to this day, is the most horrifying place I've ever lived in my life. I would hear constant noises alone in my bed at night. My Barbies and toys would move on their own. I would hear voices whispering my name, often right in my ear, feeling breath on my neck. Even as a resilient child who experienced these things all my life, whatever presence was in that room terrified me. I slept with the TV on literally every single night to drown out the noise. It was a four-bedroom house, so obviously I was stuck. My cool older sisters wouldn't want to share a room with their kid sister. That was all until Christmas when I was in the sixth grade. These experiences were almost daily, but were actually worse around the holidays. My family grew to anticipate it every year. The Christmas tree goes up, and so does the activity in the house. That Christmas, I became incredibly sick. For two weeks, I had a fever of 103, couldn't eat, and was constantly vomiting. In hindsight, I had no idea why my mom didn't take me to the hospital. I was whittling away. I was about 5'3 at the time and went from a healthy 105 to a mere 82 pounds. I couldn't move. I could barely get out of bed to use the restroom across the hall. I was stuck in one place that truly terrified me. One night, my sisters were hanging out in Kristen's room right below mine. They heard clear footsteps from upstairs and thought, Oh, Amanda's actually up. Let's go see how she's doing. They were not prepared to see how I was doing. They went upstairs and opened, the do- opened my door. They didn't see me walking around. No, the room was dark and I was lying flat on my back like a corpse in a casket. Standing over top of me was a tall black figure next to my bed, staring down over me. They flicked on the light and the figure disappeared. disappeared they grabbed my mom, who didn't doubt their story at all, which clues you into how common things were in our lives. The next thing I know, they gently woke me up and said, okay Amanda, we're gonna go sleep on the couch in the living room tonight. I was clearly pissed off and confused. I was so weak and could barely move, so why did I have to leave my own bed? But I did as I was told and quickly passed back out in the living room. The next day, I was completely fine. My fever had broken eating everything in sight I felt completely back to normal but then they told me that my room wasn't my room anymore again I was confused but being that I wasn't too young and had grown up with these things they told me the whole story I was of course spooked but also relieved to be out of there my oldest sister had always protected me and had my back so naturally she volunteered to give up her bedroom for the duration of the year and sleep on the couch until she went off to college in the fall six months of sleeping on the couch her poor back I was out of the room, but my life didn't change a whole lot. To this day, we all still experience things. I've lived in 10 places since I moved out of that house 10 years ago. Every place I've lived in has been haunted. Same with my siblings. Turning skeptical roommate after skeptical roommate into a true believer. At the end of the day, we know it's not the places any longer that are haunted. It is us, and we can never escape it. P.S. My parents still live in that house and no one has slept in that bedroom since. Thanks for your amazing work and making life seem a little more normal than I thought. Amanda.
0: Thanks, Amanda. That was interesting where, I mean, yeah, like, like, uh, okay, they're all experiencing this, you know, paranormal activity or whatever in different places. Yeah. But that one place was the most intense by far. Right,
1: right, so or at that, least from what she's told us.
0: Right, right. That she got well. That she got better after leaving that place. I know that her health returned. So it's like, is that where it all started? And something was in that space, and it attached to some of them. Or it's like, like I wonder if they went back oh. to that room, would it be even worse for them? Yeah, who knows? Yeah, it's and interesting
1: then, that well, she's lived in ten places. Always haunted or always something happening. Same thing with her siblings. For every mm-hmm. time they move, their parents, their previous house was haunted. So actually, I don't even know if it started in this particular house. It might have started one house back. Oh, okay. They might have brought it from there. Right. What's to say that's not what happened? Mm-hmm. And that, that spirit is pissed off that they moved, came with them, and made her really sick.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting that, like, like you said, like the entire family... I know had experiences and that there's no skeptics in the family. Like they've all they all claim to have seen multiple things.
1: Yeah, we've never had that and
0: seen things together. And in, in, in some moments, like where like two of them would see the same thing at the same time.
1: Right. Right. Normally it's like, oh, I was a kid. My parents didn't believe me. Right. Blah, blah, blah. But later, you know, years later, my brother said he saw it, too. Or, right. You know, you have those. But a whole family. Of believers.
0: And that's interesting, that note at the end, too, about, you know, uh, turning skeptical roommates into believers. I know. It's kind of cool. Uh-huh. Like what what all things have happened to them afterwards.
1: You know where Amanda's not invited to come?
0: Our house? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you don't want to bring some stuff into our home?
1: Well, I don't want her to come and find out what's there.
0: Oh. Because maybe, like, her family's just really open to these things, and that's yeah. why they're experiencing
1: these? Could be. Could be. I was thinking about my stepdad when I was reading this because he's always got something going on. It's like it's his knee, it's his back, it's his shoulder, it's some sort of blood thing. I'm like, well, yeah. who did you piss <laughs> off and what is in your house? Um, you never know. Never know. You never can tell. I mean, oh, creepy. Creepy stuff. So now are you going to go to the bathroom and... I don't know. Buddy marry it up? You know
0: what? It's during the day. It won't bother me that much. I'll, I'll tell do you what.
1: Do it. Do it.
0: Do <laughs> yeah, it. I would do it here during the day, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not worried about anything happening. But as casual I be about that now and flipping about like, yeah, whatever. It's just an urban legend. I don't yeah. care. I do, go do that. When I'm working here alone at night, like I am sometimes, like where I'm the only person in the whole building, there's no other cars in the parking lot. Yeah. That's not happening. That's what I'm not doing. That I'm not going to do that, and then come back into our office full of creepy mannequins <laughs> and tons of occult objects. Okay. Not when I'm by myself.
1: If you are going to do the Bloody Mary thing, can I put like one crystal in your pocket?
0: Well, wh- that's that's weird. Then, like, why do you want me to do it, but then want me to be somewhat protected? Why do you just want me to not well, do it? I
1: want you to see it, but I don't want it to attach.
0: <laughs> like, there's some special rule that way. Like you've yes. re- you, like you've read the um, the. Hello. Bloody Mary bylaws and they're like they're like well as long as you have a piece of quartz in your pocket no. then it'll show itself but it won't touch you
1: it, it may or may not but like why
0: this is nonsense it's not
1: nonsense <laughs> it's like we tell creepy stories all the time we're mm-hmm. always talking about all these strange things uh people who see things they protect themselves that doesn't stop them from seeing it you still want to like keep yourself you, safe
0: what if I just ate a bunch of french fries before I walked in there
1: <laughs> that's know, you not you, how it works
0: salt then my whole body is full of salt, <laughs> oh protective my God. salt.
1: I love the other day I was in the uh-huh. b- in our bathroom getting ready <laughs> oh, yeah. and you were like stretching and you had uh-huh. your hands on the door frame. You're kind of like doing that right. back You're stretch. like, what the hell is You're this? You're like, what's this? And then I got so angry. You're like, what the f-? I was like, put the salt back. Put it back. You're like, it's just a rock. I'm like, no, it's a little piece of salt. <laughs> I know.
0: I love that there is salt on, on top of our doorways.
1: Every single doorway. Every wonder, single doorway. Is that protective doorway.
0: salt? Maybe, hmm. Actually it's kind of nice to have it cuz I do love salt. And if we ever ran out of salt, and I'm like making some french fries or something for myself, I could just go to the doorway. You have never made french just... fries.
1: What are you fucking talking about?
0: <laughs> I have a few times frozen. I've put some frozen ones on a tray and put them in the oven. Oh. And then and then I can just crumble up some of that table that doorway
2: salt and put it on my food. Probably has extra flavor like mm-hmm. dust.
1: <laughs> it's been there for that so long
2: walking around though. Like don't bring the salt to the french fries. Bring the french fries to the salt. So you're walking around just like dabbing it on top of all the door frames. <laughs> just popping we- them on there. Mm, yummy.
1: Ridiculous. Do you want to do some Annabelle shout outs?
0: I do. Me first? Uh, or you first?
1: I'll go first. Okay, uh, go. Let's break it up. I would like to thank the following awesome Annabelles for supporting the show. Shauna, no last name. Nick Rasmussen. Michelle Grigg. Samantha Schroll. Ace, Two Hundred One Four Five Zero Eight. I don't know what that's about. Sydney Peterson, Nicole Lippum, Ethan Zettler, Crystal Wing, Kathleen Geyer, Jacob Fornis, Daniel Hall, Austin Witt, Lizzie Brady, and Jonathan Cheek.
0: Thank you. I would You're like welcome. to thank the uh, additional Annabelle's for supporting us on Patreon Justin Shore, Ashley Flores, Tucker Saus, or Souse, Sabrina Mendiola, Nicholas Hartman, Tim Haya, uh Hayashi, Gloria Yost, Carly Completo, Aaron Warshower, Brandon Healy, Anthony Kaleo, Jude Burton, Alejandro Graciano, James Dickus. Uh, I can't, I'm such a junior hire. Every time like the name sounds kind of like Dick, I just I have to fight laughing. Mr. Dickus.
1: Says the guy whose last name is Cummins. I know.
0: Oh, my gosh. We could have the greatest law office, the office of Cummins and Dickus. <laughs> Come, <laughs> come to the offices of Cummins, Dickus and Cummins. That would be great. Um, yeah, James, Dickus. <laughs> Angela, Hamrick, Huffer. So, thank you very much.
1: Uh, now, sorry, I'm just thinking about your potential law office.
0: I love it. Yeah, James, Jimmy, you, Jimmy and Danny, come see Jimmy and Danny down at Cummins and Dickus.
1: Oh my god, that's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. I also uh, feel like I now want future Annabellers to make up ridiculously, preposterously difficult names oh. that like just are nonsense.
0: That I just, So I really can't pronounce them?
1: With no vowels? Like those kinds of names? <laughs> like, that you're I- like Icelandic
0: what? names? Where mm-hmm. you're like, how does this word have 27... It has all the consonants but, but no, no vowels. vowels.
1: <laughs> so funny. Who made up consonants and vowels? Where does that come from? Uh, Do you uh, know? Jimmy Dickus. <laughs> I to I'm gonna Google that after this. Okay. Okay, I have a few spoopy shout outs. Um to Sterling from Shannon, happy twenty-fourth birthday. Twenty-four. Nice. To Tanner from Sydney, congrats on graduation and your new big boy job. To Colton from Sarah, happy anniversary. To May from D-Dubs, happy belated birthday. And to Cody from Amanda, thanks for being the best brother-in-law ever. That's Aww. sweet.
0: Uh, and that is all for today. Please keep sending in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredath podcast dot com. Please keep emailing us for everything else. Info at scaredath podcast dot com. Maybe don't pick up hitchhikers this week. Uh Maybe not. Thanks to Logan Keith on social media and uh, doing the badmagicmerch.com merch design. Store at badmagicproductions.com for customer service. And thanks to Olivia Lee for curating today's stories. Uh, Yeah, both of those were ones she had found.
1: A round of applause. Mm -hmm.
0: First time, she did great. Uh, Sophie has not gone anywhere, by the way. We just now have additional help. We have Sarah Finch and Olivia Lee to keep things uh, interesting as the catalog grows bigger. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thanks to Joe Paisley for producing, directing today. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story email. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you'd like to watch the show. Almost 75,000 subscribers there, so that's awesome. Wow. Yeah, a small fraction uh, of listeners compared to the podcast, but still getting to be a pretty decent number. That's, Excited about that's that. That's crazy. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content, at Scared to Death Podcast. And we have, and that's where you see the pictures also that we talk about in each show. And we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers. Thanks to Liz Hernandez for moderating that. And if you don't want to hear more ads and, and you want monthly bonus episodes, check us out on Patreon. And enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but have no home here within, scared to death.
2: Add Magic Productions.